Now today we are in the third part of our series called Upside Down Kingdom, and all throughout this series we're talking about the fact that, um, that when Jesus came into our world, that the arrival of Jesus marked the beginning of God doing something new, something new in the world for the world, that Jesus did not come as an extension of something, he didn't come as the sequel of something, uh, and Jesus did not come to do something for some people, no, Jesus came to do something for every people. Right, and so today I want to be honest with you and kind of tell you my goal for you um, right up front. Um, today I want to give you a reason um, to consider or perhaps to reconsider faith and specifically to reconsider the person uh, of Jesus because um, one of the things that is absolutely indisputable one of the things that um, nobody argues with, regardless of what they believe about church or the Bible or Jesus or even just religion and God in general, um, the part that is in fact so easily verifiable, which is one of the things that's so amazing to me, is that against all odds, right, against all odds, a group of illiterate Jewish fishermen, a tax collector, and a couple of day laborers following a dead carpenter, they went into the streets of Jerusalem with no authority, no military, and no territory, and they had the audacity to announce to the world that the final sacrifice for sin had just been made. Not for all Jewish people, but for all people in the world and for every generation of the world. And that sacrifice had just been made right out the, outside of the city walls of Jerusalem. And see, we miss this, I think, but this actually flew right in the face of all religion, right? All Roman religion, all Greek religion, all Egyptian religion, even all Jewish religion. And if you and I are tempted to think that change happens quickly in our world today, within the, just 350 years of the event that's simply known as the resurrection, Right, within 350 years of this event, again, with no authority, no territory, and no military, with no protests, no counter-protests, no rallies, and no demonstrations, the unimaginable happened in 380 AD, and the very empire that executed Jesus embraced Jesus as the one and only living Son of God. Now, that was completely unimaginable. And it was especially unimaginable to the men and to the women who just a few years earlier had given their lives to tell the world that God had done something new. That through Jesus, God was doing something new in the world for the world. Now, if today is your first time with us, or if today is your first time um, back in, in a while, um, then... Um, Previously on Upside Down Kingdom, the last time we were together, Jesus had just spent 40 days and 40 nights in the desert being tempted to take what was rightfully his. But Jesus is focused on establishing a new kingdom, a brand new kingdom, a kingdom where power is not primarily for the powerful, a kingdom where influence is not primarily for the influential, a kingdom where wealth is primarily not for the benefit of the wealthy, a kingdom the likes of which the world had never seen, a kingdom where the king would in fact die for the subjects. Luke tells us that after these 40 days and 40 nights of being tempted, that Jesus returned. He returned back to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news actually spread about him all through the entire countryside. And so Jesus was teaching in the synagogues and everybody was praising him. But see, they were praising him as a teacher. 
That they were praising him as a new rabbi with a, a new spin on things. That they were praising him as a prophet. They viewed Jesus as an extension of something old. They did not see Jesus as the beginning of something new. In fact, Luke himself goes on and he tells us, he tells us that the people, that the people said that a great prophet, a great prophet has appeared among us and God has come to help his people. But see, Jesus had come to do a lot more than just that. Jesus had actually come to a, a much larger audience than just that. And so very early on in his ministry and in his teaching, Jesus would drop hints. He would leave these clues um, that, that, that something new was in the works, that he had actually come to replace just about everything that had been in place. And so there were hints, there were illustrations, there were stories, there were parables, all of which created tension in his audience that would hear the, these very interesting and very confusing things that Jesus was saying. Um, the most famous of which is what you and I refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. Now, Jesus actually never called it that. And that's important for us to understand. Um, this was just a, a title that somebody gave to this section of Scripture um, many, many years ago to help make it easy for us to find when we read our, our Bibles. And this was not a one-time message for Jesus. This message, in fact, and the teaching that's within it, um, Jesus repeated over and over and over again because this was the embodiment of, of the upside-down nature of Jesus' kingdom. And what Jesus said in this message and what he would say over and over to the people who would hear him speak, it, it was so contrary to everything that these people had been used to hearing all of their lives. And see, for us, when we read this today in our modern English Bibles, um, we miss the tension in most of these words. Some of them are a little confusing to us, um, but they don't make us uneasy. They, they, don't, um, they don't make us wonder, okay, what is Jesus really getting at? And so I want to try to surface some of that tension for you today so that, um, so that we can better appreciate how these words of Jesus felt and how they were experienced by his audience. And so Matthew and Luke, um, they, they both tell us that whenever Jesus would start teaching um, this material, he, he would always start out by saying, blessed are you who are poor, right? Which was absolutely crazy because, because these people had been told that the rich were in fact the people who were blessed by God because, I mean, after all, all the patriarchs were rich, Right? Abraham was rich, Isaac was rich, Jacob was rich, David was rich, Solomon was rich. I mean, Jesus, how in the world can you say um, that God has some special favor for the poor? The reason they're poor is because they are out of God's favor. But Jesus actually said, no, blessed are you who are poor because it's yours. Yours is the kingdom of God. And see, this was good news for the poor because they thought and they had been told that they were actually left out of the kingdom of God. Everything Jesus taught, everything that Jesus said, all of it um, was completely upside down for the people who would listen to Jesus' teaching and his message. Everything that they heard was just so, so strange compared to what they were told since they were little kids. Jesus would go on and he would tell them that, listen, it's going to be the meek who will inherit. It's going to be the merciful who are blessed. It's going to be the peacemakers, not the power brokers. It is the peacemakers, in fact, who, who are, are having God's favor. Jesus would go on and he would say this, and this is, this is one that we miss completely. He actually said to the people listening, okay, blessed are you who are pure in heart, 
right? For they will see God. Now, what we miss about this is this is such an internal thing. And these people all grew up in a culture that said, no, blessed are the ceremonially clean. Blessed are the ceremonially pure. Blessed are the people who have done the right washings, who have stayed away from contaminated things, who have stayed out of the homes of Gentiles, who have stayed away from Gentiles. Blessed are those people who look good to everybody else. Those are the people who will be blessed from God. And Jesus says no. No, not anymore. God is doing something new. From now on, blessed are the people who are pure in heart because these are the people who will be able to see and to recognize the activity of God in their world. Jesus went on and he said this. He said, you, right? you Jewish people, you Jewish people who are following me, you're the salt of the earth, you are, in fact, the light of the world to which they thought, okay, Jesus, we, we are not. We are not the salt of the earth. And Jesus, we are certainly not the light of the world. We, we don't look like the world. We don't act like the world. We don't wear their clothes. We don't eat their food. We, we don't hang out with them. Jesus, we don't want to have anything to do with the world. I mean, every, everything we've been told since we were little kids is that we're supposed to stay away. We're supposed to stay away from all things Gentile. And now, Jesus, you're saying um, that, that us as Jewish people, um, that we're supposedly the light of the world, that we're the salt of the earth? But Jesus just leaned into it further and he says, okay, but I tell you, I tell you, I want you to let your light shine before others, you know, like other non-Jewish people. Really, Jesus? Are you serious? You want us to, sh we don't even like the others. We don't even want the others around. In fact, the whole reason we're waiting for a Messiah, Jesus, is so that the Messiah will get rid of all the others. So that we can have our nation back. But Jesus said, no, I want you to let your light shine before others, these other non-Jewish people, so they may see your good deeds and glorify. Glorify your Father in heaven to which they thought, okay, Jesus, okay, listen, time out. We don't care if they glorify our God. No, we want them to fear our God, like in the days of Joshua. Or at the very least, they should fear our king, like in the days of David. Jesus, we want all the other people, we want them to be jealous of the wealth of our nation like they were in the days of Solomon. Jesus, this doesn't, this is weird. Like this is new. This doesn't sound very Messiah-ish. It doesn't sound very Messianic. Jesus, this is all just, just strange. It doesn't sound like Moses. It doesn't sound like the prophets. And see, Jesus knew that they knew that what he was saying was new. You keep track of all that. In fact, he anticipated that. But he anticipated that because he knew their hearts. And so he looks at them and he says to them, he says, okay, don't think. I do not want you to think, verse 17, I do not want you to think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. 
Now, law and prophets, really important here. Jewish people in the first century, they did not refer to the Old Covenant or what we think of the Old Testament as the Old Testament. They just called it the law and the prophets, right? All the history, all the poetry, everything that we think of in the Old Testament. um, To the Jewish people, that wasn't old um, because it was just current. It was the only thing that there was. And so every Jewish person in the first century, Jesus, Paul, um, all the apostles, right? Anywhere, any Jewish person, any in the first century, they just referred to all of it as the law and the prophets. And so Jesus says to them, he says, listen, I did not come to abolish your Bible. I didn't come um, to to change it. I didn't come to destroy it. Um, I, I didn't even come to edit it. Now, you got to ask yourself, okay, why would Jesus say this? Because everything he just got finished telling them made all of them think, no, that is exactly, that is exactly what you are doing, Jesus. That is exactly what you've come to do. And so Jesus, he, he doubled, doubles down on this. And he says, okay, do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. Right? But, he says, but the tension that you feel, that's real. The the contrast that you hear between what I'm telling you now and what you've always heard before, that is real. That is not imaginary. You are not making that up, Jesus would say. Change is coming. Change is here. I'm not going to to change what you've always been taught, Jesus would say. I'm going to challenge you to abandon what you've always been taught. I have not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. Right? In other words, Jesus said, okay, listen, if the Old Testament, if the Old Covenant, if the law and the prophets, if that were a homework assignment, I've come to complete it. Right? If it was a math problem, Jesus said, I've come to solve it. If it were an airplane, I've come to land it. The law and the prophets, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, according to Jesus, the Old Covenant way of life, the Old Covenant way of relating to God and relating to other people, Jesus said, listen, all of that, it has an expiration date. And the time has come. I'm telling you, when Jesus spoke these words, you could have heard a pin drop. And so he looks at all these Jewish people who are just staring at him and they're thinking, okay, I can't believe that you just said that, Jesus. And so Jesus says this in verse 18. He says, I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law, right? Massive exhale. Okay, Jesus, you're not crazy. Thank goodness. Until. What was that, Jesus? You you heard me. Until. None of it's going to disappear from the law. I'm not here to edit it. I'm not here to change it. None of it will disappear from the law until. Perhaps one of the most significant things Jesus says anywhere in the Gospels and also one of the most 
overlooked statements that he ever makes. In fact, if one of the reasons um, you're struggling in your faith right now is because you do not know how to reconcile, you don't know how to connect what it is that you read in the first half of this book compared to what it is that you read in the second half of this book. If that tension is inside of you right now and you do not know how to resolve that, and so that tension is kind of pushing you out the door, then I would tell you that probably a big part of the reason you feel that is because no one has actually explained to you what's on the other side of this preposition. Because overlooking this preposition, it leads to faithlessness, it leads to gracelessness, it leads to legalism. Overlooking this preposition will lead to the loss of faith itself. Jesus said, none of it will disappear, nothing will change until everything is accomplished and then it will change then it will disappear because its purpose will have been fulfilled so Jesus wait a minute are you saying that our whole understanding of God are you saying that everything that we've been told about God, everything we know about how we relate to God, everything about our connection as God's unique people, as the nation of Israel, Jesus, are you really saying all of that is just going to, to disappear one day? The old covenant is just going to go away? God's un unique relation? I mean, Jesus, God chose us. Don't you understand this? This covenant has been in place for 1,500 years. It's lasted through the Babylonians. It lasted through, um, through the Persians. It lasted through the, the Assyrians. Jesus, don't you understand that throughout this covenant, no matter what has happened to our nation, there has always been a tabernacle. There has always been a temple to remind us that our covenant and our status with God is intact, that that has stayed in place no matter what. And Jesus, you're saying that now all of this is just going to go away? That's impossible, Jesus. Forty years later, 40 years after Jesus spoke these words, August 6th, A.D. 70, uh, under the, the reign of the Emperor Titus, the Roman 10th Legion entered into the city of Jerusalem. They broke through the walls of Jerusalem and they destroyed the city of Jerusalem and they completely decimated the temple. On AD, in, on August 6th, AD 70, Old Testament covenant, the Old Testament covenant, ancient Judaism on which it was based, it went out of business and has never been practiced since. You cannot practice it without a temple. More about that next week. And see, Jesus' point of all of this, right? Jesus' point, in fact, this is the point the Apostle Paul would go to, make, go to tell the Gentiles over and over and over, all through the epistles. Jesus' point in all of this is he's explaining to us that, that, listen, through Jesus, God is doing something new in the world for the world. And so because of that, Jesus himself was actually born under God's covenant with Israel. Jesus was born under God's covenant with Israel and he is born under the covenant and ob obligated to all the laws that Moses has received on Mount Sinai. But he was born under the law and he came into the world under the law to fulfill it 
to end it, to replace it. And see, here's the good news for you and for me. So that you would not be bound by it. And to replace it with something new. To replace it with something better. A covenant that would not be between God and a nation. A covenant that would be between God and every nation. A covenant which in fact would truly be good news for everyone. Now if there is ever any question in Jesus' audience as to whether or not this is in fact what Jesus meant. That he really had come to replace just about everything that had been put in place prior to him. Matthew records for us in in his own section of this particular event, Matthew records for six different times where Jesus himself very intentionally uses a, a phrase, and he says this over and over and over. He said, you have heard it said to the people long ago, but I say. You have heard it said, but I say. Long ago, the people were told, but I say. You have heard it said, do not murder, but I say, do not even hate. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I'm telling you that lust is a sin. Men, you have heard it said that if you write your wives a certificate of divorce, then God's fine with that. I say, not so fast. Over and over, Jesus pitted himself against the law of Moses, right? Not to weaken it, don't miss this, but because it had served its purpose, because its inadequacies were showing. The time had come. The world was ready for something new, for a replacement. In fact, Matthew tells us that Jesus could never have been any more clear because he actually gathered the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the temple leaders and the teachers of the law. He gathered them together and he said something to them that, again, when we read doesn't mean anything to us. But that day, I'm telling you, when Jesus said this, the people looking at him and hearing these words for themselves, they thought he was crazy because Jesus looked at all of them and he says, listen, I'm telling you, something greater than the temple is here. And it's like, Jesus, you have been out in the sun for too long. There is nothing greater than the temple. The temple is where we house the law. The temple is literally where the presence of God dwells. The temple is the physical sign of our relationship with God. Jesus, if you're saying that something is greater than the temple, then what you're really saying, Jesus, is we don't need the temple any longer. And see, little did those people know, little did they realize that very soon after this event, Jesus would close the curtain on one. And he would rip away, he would rip away the curtain on the other. The Old Covenant, the Old Testament, it was a divinely inspired, a divinely crafted cocoon. The purpose of which was to release the love and the light of God into the world. In fact, this was the nation of Israel's purpose from the very, very beginning. And at the very end of Jesus' ministry, he makes a statement to us that is so incredibly important. And the truth is, it's always been important. But I am telling you what Jesus said at the end of his ministry is more important now in our world today than it has ever been at any time before this. Because Jesus, 
He would gather his, uh, his apostles, he would gather his disciples, he would gather his followers together at the very end of his ministry, and he would say something that, that if you grew up in church, you've heard these words countless times. In fact, if you're someone who used to be in church or used to follow Jesus and you no longer follow Jesus or you have one foot out the door and, and you wonder about Jesus, when you hear these words, you're going to think to yourself, okay, I remember that, I remember saying that, but I'll be honest, I never thought about that. Because after Jesus was crucified, after he was raised from the dead, after he was seen by hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, not just for a day or two, but over the course of months, and months. Jesus gathered all of his followers and he gave them a farewell address. And he said this. You've heard this before. All authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus said all authority. Remember when Matthew told us that the people listening to Jesus were amazed at Jesus because he spoke with authority? If you know about the situation when Jesus cleansed the temple and he drove out the money changers and he got rid of those people who were taking advantage of the poor, right? the temple leaders, the teachers of the law, when that happened, they did not come to Jesus and say, okay, um, Jesus, you know, what do you think you're doing? That is not the question that they asked. They came to Jesus when that event happened and they said, who do you think you are? Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? Because Jesus spoke and Jesus moved and Jesus behaved with an authority that had never been before seen by any part of humanity. And so he stood on a hill that day speaking to his followers who had just seen him die a few months earlier and now they're listening to Jesus physically speak to them, audibly speak to them, resurrected from the dead. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth, that has been given to me, not to Moses, not to the law, not to the temple. And see, again, this rattled his audience except they saw him die. And so Jesus said to them, listen, I am the embodiment of the authority of God and here's what I want you to do. I want you to go. And I know this is different than everything you've been told, everything you've experienced growing up. I know this is going to be uncomfortable, but I actually want you to go in contrast to what you've been told when you were little. Because ever since you were little boys and little girls, I know you've been told to stay. But now Jesus said, I want you to go. I actually want you to go into all of the nations. And I want you to make disciples of all nations. To like, it's like to which, okay, you, you want to say, but Jesus, shouldn't we just stick around here? I mean, Jesus, wouldn't we be more effective uh, amongst our own people, amongst the people who are like us? Jesus, aren't the people who like us going to listen to us better? than all those other people. And, and Jesus says, okay, listen, I, I, I know that you have been praying for a Messiah that would actually stay within your borders, that would keep to your own kind. But I'm telling you, God is doing something new. It is time for you to take the love of God to people wherever you find them. And you are to invite them to do exactly what I've invited you to do. You are to invite them to follow me. By baptizing them. That is, you are to ask them to identify with me and my message. 
You are to baptize them in the name of. Right? And if you've grown up in church or been in church for any length of time, you know exactly what Jesus says next. But for the Jews in his audience, someone was conspicuously missing from this list because he told them to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son, but not of Moses and not of the prophets, but rather in the name of God's Holy Spirit himself. And then Jesus said something very new, something very, very different. Because he said, after you have baptized them, you are to teach them to obey everything. Right? Everything in the law? No. Everything in the prophets? No. You are to teach them to obey everything. And you know who them is? Them is you. Them is you. Them is me. Because eventually, this group of disenfranchised nobodies, they would in fact take this message outside of their borders. And again, with no territory and no military, they would topple an empire with nothing more than the love and the light of our Heavenly Father himself who is Jesus Christ. And so Jesus said, I want you to teach them to obey everything that I, everything that I have commanded to you. And see, I cannot overemphasize how incredibly important this moment is because in this moment, Jesus not only is in the role of covenant maker, in this moment, do not miss this, Jesus actually steps into the role as lawgiver. Because the new covenant that Jesus had just initiated, like the old one it replaced, also came with a list of thou shalts and thou shalt nots. But it wasn't 600 and it wasn't 10. It was not even two. This is one of the most important moments in the life of Jesus and it is personally heartbreaking to me. How underemphasized, how little attention that for centuries and for centuries this moment would get. Because what happens next in this moment is literally what changed the world. Because every single person listening to Jesus that day knew exactly what Jesus had just commanded to them a couple of months earlier. Because he told them a new command, a new command I give you, as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, by this one command, by this one thing, by this, everyone, everyone will know that you are my disciples, Jesus said, if you love one another. Not if you love me, I'm leaving. Not if you love God, nobody sees that. No, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. And compared to everything these Jewish men and women had heard all throughout the course of their life, this brand new covenant, it was far, far less complicated, but it was also incredibly more demanding. And let me try to illustrate why. 
And this is just between us, okay? So just no, don't, don't tell anybody this because this is a little embarrassing. If you give me a list of rules, I will find a loophole. In fact, the, the larger the list, it's just the way I'm wired up. It's my personality. In fact, the larger the list, the more rules you give me, the easier it actually is for me to find a loophole. Now, the truth is, this isn't just me, right? This is you. This is you. Because if you're a parent, if you have ever parented a teenager... If you remember middle school, right, then you actually understand this, right, because you had this conversation or you were a part of this conversation, and it's like, Dad, um, I, I know you said to be home, and I was home. You, you didn't tell me where I had to be at home. I was in the driveway the whole time. Mom, you said I couldn't, but you didn't say. You didn't say. Mom, you didn't say. Mom, you, you didn't say. You said I couldn't do this, but Mom, you didn't say. Right? In other words, you did not give me the fine print. Where there are rules, plural, there is space. There are cracks. The more rules, the more space. And the more cracks. But see, it's worse than that. And this is the part I really don't want you telling anybody because this is the part that's kind of embarrassing about me. If you give me a Bible and I get to use like the whole Bible, I can pretty much justify anything, especially if I get to use the first half. Because some of the things that we say, some of the things that we sing on Sunday mornings in here, with you? Some of those things were written and said by people who did horrible, horrible things. One of them is actually even known as a man after God's own heart, right? So there you go. It's the reason why if you do what I do, um, periodically and, and often, I will get people asking me the question, okay, Joe, what does the Bible say about? Right, because here's the thing. I, I want to do A. And so I, I want to know, what, what does the Bible actually say about A? Because I want to do A. And if, if the Bible doesn't speak to A specifically, then that's actually B. And see, I'm just asking you about A. So what does the Bible say about A? Is there anything wrong with A? Because if there isn't, then, then I, I kind of want to just do that. I just want to do that. Because I'm not asking about B. I mean, I don't want to do anything that God is like specifically against. But if he doesn't specifically talk about it, then, then that's B. And I'm not asking about B. I'm just asking about A. Because, see, I, I just want to do A. You give me a list of rules. I give you a list of rules. <laughs> I'll find a loophole. You will find a loophole. Picture this. Jesus came into a religious environment where the religious leaders of the day were professional loophole creators. 
and the hypocrisy that had been created was so overwhelming. It was actually pushing the very people that God had made to worship him away from him. And so Jesus said, I have come into the world to do something new. Something new in the world for the world to establish a new kingdom. An upside down kingdom. A kingdom where the king will in fact die for the subjects. And where the subjects are to to live under a new covenant marked by a, a new command, a new covenant with far less rules that was far less complicated, a, a new command that had less loopholes but was far more demanding. New covenant love, right? New covenant love. Not love according to me or love according to you. Love according to Jesus is what closes all the loopholes. This is the brilliance of Jesus and this is the ethic of his brand new upside down kingdom. Because after all, if you're like me, then chances are There are plenty of times when you don't know actually what you are supposed to do. And if you're like me, especially living in our world today, there's often many times where I don't even know who to believe. But see, I almost always know what love requires of me. So this is why, right? This is why if something in the first half of this book. This is why I would say to you, if if there's something in here um, that you found on the internet or that you were taught in school or um, someone was telling you about and and that has caused you to um, kind of question or to to maybe turn and and leave or maybe you've got one foot out the door um, when it comes to your faith and to who you believe that Jesus is, here's why all of this, what we're talking about today, um, I would tell you is just extraordinarily good news for you. Because, see, you may have left your faith. You may have left your relationship with Jesus unnecessarily. Because Jesus can stand on his own two nail-scarred, resurrected feet. He does not need propping up by the old covenant. In fact, he actually stands straighter this way. He stands more defensible this way. Because he stood the test of time. And he stood the test of an empire. So stick around. Maybe there is in fact more to this upside down kingdom than you think. Heavenly Father. Father, you alone know where where this message lands for all of us. But for me, um, today, in this moment, uh, it it lands with some confession. Because I have to confess that 
that sometimes I actually take pride in my ability to create loopholes, to find exceptions, to say what about, what about, what about. When I know very well, Father, what, um, what your intent is, when I know, Father, very well um, what you would have me do is or not do, And Father, the amazing thing about who you are and the thing that makes you a good Heavenly Father is that despite my tendency, despite our tendency to look for and to create loopholes, Jesus, you came into our world anyway. You came into my life. You came into our lives anyway. And Jesus, you said, you, said, you said to each one of us, you said simply, I just want you to do for others. I just want you to love others the way that we have been loved by you. And so Jesus, as your people who are here in this place and uh, for those of us who are, are watching right now and who who would call ourselves and who kind of identify ourselves with your name, with your movement, and with your kingdom. Jesus, we do confess those things to you. And we do also ask that you would continue to do what you're doing in us and through us, that you would grow your kingdom in us, you would grow your kingdom through us, that we would not be content to give in to our own likes and dislikes, that we would not be content to give in to what makes us comfortable or uncomfortable, but that we would hear your message, that we would hear your message, that we are to go into all the world that we are to find people who you love everywhere and anywhere, right here in this neighborhood, right here in our family, our friends, the people we go to school with, the people we work with, and that we're not to preach at them, Jesus, because you didn't preach at us. We're to simply love them the way that you have loved us, full of grace, full of grace, full of mercy. Grace and mercy that never run out. Grace and mercy that go beyond our capacities as people. And Jesus, that's when it is most evident that it's not us, it's actually you. It's actually you. And so we ask that you would continue to do all of these things that we would see you as the foundation of our faith, that we would be reminded, Jesus, that everything you promised to us is true, and that the words that you left us with, that promise is a promise for us, that no matter what, you are always with us, even to the very end of the age. Jesus, we pray all of this in your name. Amen.